Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Let's look together at Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. What a great opening to a letter. Now, he identifies who's writing. He says, it's me, Jude, the bondservant of Jesus. Bondservant. Bondservant was a person who found out maybe they were in debt and they had to work off the debt, so they became an indentured servant. For seven years, had to serve under someone because they owed them money and they couldn't pay back, so they said, all right, you can work for me. You can work off your debt. But at the end of that period of working it off, if the servant said, you know, I'm doing pretty good since I came to work for you. I'd like to stay on. Can I stick around and keep working for you? Well, then what they would do is, is a little different situation. You're not serving because you owed anything. You're now a voluntary servant to the master. Well, if you wanted to do that back then, the master of the house would take you to the doorpost and he would pierce your ear with an awl. And the master would provide a gold hoop. They put a gold ring in the guy's ear. And that ring signified that he was working on that estate, but not because he owed anything. He was a voluntary servant. It is a statement about the master of the house. It was saying, I work here because this guy is a good master to serve. Well, Jude starts off his letter by saying he is a bond servant of Jesus. So what's he saying about Jesus? He's showing he's a really good master. Now, he also tells us that he is the brother of James. Now, this is probably the James, what we have, the letter of James that's written in the Bible. James was one of those guys that rubber meets the road. In the early church, he was considered one of the pillars of the early church, just in Jerusalem, that he would really be used to help shepherd the flock there. Now, guys, he could have used some other credentials because that's the James he's talking about. If you'll remember in Matthew 13, when the disciples were saying, isn't this Jesus fellow that we got here? Don't we know this guy? In fact, we know his mom and his dad, Joseph and Mary. And in Matthew 13, verse 55, it said, is this not the carpenter's son when they were talking about Jesus? And is not his mother called Mary and his brothers called James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get this miraculous power? Where did he get the ability to do all these miracles? They were talking about Jesus. Which makes for a really interesting note. Judas, his brother, or Jude, we'd say for short, the book of Jude here, that in the lineup there would be the youngest one. And he would have grown up with his older brothers all mocking their oldest brother, Jesus. Oh, he's the son of God. We're the sons of Joseph. We know who our dad is. We don't know who your dad is. You could have been illegitimate. They actually poked fun at him, their own brother. But at the point when Jude writes this letter, he doesn't say anything about Jesus being his brother or his half-brother. No, instead he says, I am his bondservant. What has happened in his faith? Did he go from unbelieving to now he found out who the good master was? Wouldn't that be cool? Your stepbrother turned out to be the Messiah. 
and you're like, wow, I found out who the good guy is. I kind of mocked him when I was little, but Jesus forgives all. So Jude presses on here and he tells us who he's writing to. He says, I'm writing to those who are the called, the beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. The beloved, that's just such a cool word, beloved. I remember when I read the Gospel of John at the end, Jesus was getting ready to depart the earth after he rose. He showed himself to the disciples and he was talking to them and he was asking Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Well, then feed my sheep. You love me? Yeah. Goes through this whole discourse. And he goes, and what about this other fellow? Pointing to John. Well, John wrote about that in the last chapter of John. He talks about himself like this. And Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. How many of you guys know Jesus loves you? We know the Lord loves us. Well, Jude says, I'm writing to all of you who know that you are loved of the Lord. This would be to the ones that know God loves them. He says, I want to write to you. And he starts with a beautiful salutation. He salutes them with, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. How's that for a nice intro to the letter? Not just may you have some of it. No, he says, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. How do you think people would feel if we walked up to them and said that to them? May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. We just greeted them like that. I bet someone would fall over. They wouldn't know what to do. They what? Nobody greets me like that. That's too nice. They're like, hey, stupid. They don't even know how to act when you say something that kind. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. What a beautiful thing to say. But he's saying this to those who already are loved of the Lord. To those that believe in the Lord, he wants you to have God's mercy multiplied to you. He wants you to have God's peace. Do Christians ever have days where the peace of God seems to evaporate or something? Jude would tell you, may you have that peace multiplied to you. Now, he says in verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you would contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Sometimes we start to write a letter thinking we're going to talk about one thing and we wind up going a different direction for whatever reason. For whatever happened for Jude, we don't know what caused him to shift but we know what he shifts to. So look what he shifts to. It might give you a, a clue as to what was going on. It says here, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing to you, that you would contend earnestly for the faith. Contend means like you're boxing contend. You got to fight for it. Fight for the faith, which was once and for all handed down to the saints. Verse 4, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. And those that were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently he destroyed those who did not believe. Now, 
these are men that they're sneaky. They're not making a big to do. Hey, I'm in the church here. They're just slide in and and they slip into and these men, he said, they are ungodly persons who turn the grace of God, of our God, into licentiousness or lawlessness. In other words, a license to do wrong, to break the law. That's what it is. It's lawlessness. They say, we don't have to follow that stuff. You know, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. We don't really have to do that. We need to look out for ourselves. Stuff like that. He's going to start to describe these guys just so that we could identify them. Now, do we have people that do this in churches today? Oh, yeah. By the way, this letter is probably one of the best letters for the days what we're living in. This letter gives us so many clues of what to look for. Now, he's going to give some clues and some encouragement, just so you know, because sometimes when people hear this kind of message, they get discouraged. Well, that's terrible. They're getting away with it. Can you get away with anything with God? I mean, can you like snow God? You might snow some men. You might slide in unaware and, and they might not pick up on it. If you were jumping the border and you thought, nobody caught me, I got away with it. Did God see you jump the border? You can't do anything that God does not see. Now, Jude is going to say, not only do you have to worry about these fellows, but I got to remind you, God still sees. Because as part of our faith, for some reason, when we see some evil happen, we get kind of disturbed inside. And I think that's not bad that we do, but we forget that God is still the God of fairness. He is the God that will judge fairly. And the guys who think they're getting away with it, I got news for them. Buddy, judgment day will come. Now, why do I say that? Because I cheated. I read ahead. Let me just show you what he says. I desire, verse 5, to remind you, though you already know this, once and for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently he destroyed those who did not believe. Out of that many fellows that came out following Moses out of Egypt, how many of them went into the promised land from that generation? Only two, Joshua and Caleb. Not even Moses himself will go into the promised land. Now, this is Jude pointing out, look, just because God delivered them, they didn't continue in faith. And that disqualified them from going in. He's pointing out, don't worry, if you don't stay in faith, God will judge. And he says they were destroyed in the wilderness. All of them were laid low, you read the Old Testament, in the wilderness. Now he turns to another point of God's judgment, the angels. Talking of the angels, verse 6, that did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. Remember one-third of the host of heaven were told that they rebelled against God? They followed Lucifer, and he led them out. They had posts God had put them at, and they didn't keep their proper place. And so... God has kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And then he uses another example, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities that were around them, since they in the same way also indulged in gross immorality and they went after strange flesh, they are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Remember the Lord rained down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse eight, and yet in the same way, these men, the men that crept in, and they're sneaky, and they're creeping in, these guys also by their dreaming, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, 
and they revile angelic majesties. He says, but Michael, the archangel, Mik in Hebrew means to stand, Mikael, to stand in the presence of God. The one that stands in the presence of God, he didn't even rail a judgment against Satan about the body of Moses. Instead, he said, the Lord rebuke you. Because you remember the seven sons of Sceva, the priest, they said to this possessed person, we adjure you to come out of that person in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demons went, we know Jesus, we know Paul, we never heard of you. And it says they came out of the person and they leapt on them and beat them and stripped them and they fled for their lives beaten and naked because they were name dropping. We adjure you come out by the name of the Lord whom Paul preaches. Don't do that. You need to have the Lord in you, first of all. And then you need to say, and may he be the one that rebukes you. The Lord rebuke you. You can't just say, well, I rebuke you by the name of the Lord Jesus who Izzy's been preaching about. Don't do that. Make sure you have Jesus in your heart, first of all. And here it says, these men revile these things which they do not understand. Verse 10, and these things which they know by instinct, they're like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Now, woe to them. Woe. Now, whenever you say woe, this isn't woe, Nelly, to your horsey. This is woe like how terrible it will be for them. It's going to be bad. It's woe and gloom and despair upon them. Remember, there's the seven woes in the letter in Revelation. Those things that are going to happen. They're not good things. But Jude says woe to these fellows. In other words, there's terrible judgment coming to them. For they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay, they rush headlong into the error of Balaam. And they perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, what was Cain's way? When Cain brought his offering to God, it was from the first fruit of the ground. Basket of produce that he grew. And when Abel brought his offering, it was a lamb. And God had regard for Abel's offering. But for Cain's offering, he had no regard. That's not the offering I wanted. Now, we don't know how it is because it doesn't tell us. We just know God wasn't pleased with it. And God said to Cain, look, you know it's right to do. If you will do well, won't your countenance be lifted up and you'll be fine. In other words, you knew that I wanted a lamb. But see, the older brother, to get a lamb, what would he have to, had to do? He wasn't the keeper of the lambs. He would have had to go to his brother. His younger brother, maybe he would have had to trade his baskets of produce with his brother and got a lamb and brought it to God. But he didn't want to give God what God required. See, a lot of people think the error of Cain is that Cain killed Abel. The error of Cain is he didn't offer the offering to God that God required as an offering. How many false teachers are out there telling you there's other ways to get to God? Those are the guys that Jude is warning you about. Watch out for these guys. They follow headlong into the error of Cain. And then they rush just for pay into the error of Balaam. Balaam was hired by Balak, the king, to come curse the Israelites. And he goes, I can only say what God tells me to say. And then he gets up there and they do the whole giving the offering of the bulls and the rams. They get seven of each and they make the altar and they offer them. And then Balaam gets up to do the curse that Balak hired him for. And what's he do? 
He blesses Israel. And the Bible tells us that Balaam said, King, I'll tell you what you should do. I'll give you some advice. It doesn't tell us what he advised him, though. It just tells us in the book of Numbers, 25 verse 1, While Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. For they had invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Now, what was the first commandment? Yeah, I am a jealous God, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. And that goes on, you not to make any graven images, carved idols, and bow down to them. And it says right here, these guys went and ate at their sacrifice and bowed down to their gods. And verse 3 says in Numbers 25, So the Israelites joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry against Israel. And then the Lord judges the Israelites in 24,000. You can read to verse 9 of that chapter. 24,000 in one day of the Israelites died. But Peter told us that Balaam gave the advice because Balaam was greedy. He flat out tells us it was greed that Balaam was after. Balaam just wanted the money. And here in Jude, Jude confirms the same thing. For pay, they rush headlong into the error of Balaam. But what was Balaam's error? What advice did he give? I know who knew exactly what advice, because I found it in the Bible. I found it in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, if you want to see it. In Revelations chapter 2, we read these words. It says, this is the words, the seven letters to the seven churches. And who's the one sending the letters in this book of Revelation? Who's the one speaking? Write this down. Jesus. And Jesus says to the church of Pergamum, I have a few things against you. This is Revelation 2, verse 14. Because there are some there that hold to the teaching of Balaam. What teaching? Well, Jesus tells us right here what he taught. He said, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Balaam goes, look, I can't curse those that God has blessed. What I can tell you to do is if you'll put a stumbling block before them, if you'll get them to eat things sacrificed to idols, and you'll get them to commit acts of immorality, then God will be angry with them and God will judge them. But I can't curse them because those that bless Israel will be blessed and those that curse Israel will be cursed. He goes, so I really can't pull this off. But what you could do, get your girls to invite them over to a little worship of your gods and have a party. You creep, Balaam. You said you could only say what God said to say when you prophesied. But when he wasn't prophesying, could he teach something else? Because what was his motivation now? Was he looking after the flock? No, himself. He was thinking, I want my house filled with treasure. I'll teach the enemy the wrong thing to do just for money. That is not a good teacher. And then also the third one was the rebellion of Korah. Now Jude uses these three examples, Cain and Balaam and Korah. If you learn those stories, some of the nuances, the in-depth part of them, and then you reread this little letter of Jude, you realize how deep of a letter it is because he's saying, you know these guys that creep into churches unnoticed? They kind of slink in and slide in. And He says, they're like the guys that did the error of Cain. They want to come to God 
by a different offering, not the offering God requires of his son. They come up with other stuff and they weave that into their message and they have a different focus. Remember the pay that Balaam was after. Some of these fellows come into churches and they literally look at churches as a way to get money. Whether it's how to panhandle from the church and get money from the church, whether it's to take over the church so everyone will give them the tithes. There's some crooked stuff that goes on in church Christianity because of money. It makes me sad to say, but there's way too much stuff that has gone down because these guys that creep in, they're not there for the right reason. I met a guy who said, man, I think I should be a pastor just because it's such an easy way to make a buck. I was like, are you crazy? But if you're going to be a false teacher, it might be an easy way. Because see, the Bible says in the last days, men will keep up to themselves teachers that will tickle their ears, tell them what they want to hear. And for those kind of teachers, I bet people will pay money. The thing is, when you teach the gospel, the gospel's free. And we're not supposed to charge for the gospel. We're supposed to give freely we receive, freely give. We receive the gospel freely. We're not supposed to charge for the gospel. That's a great disservice that we do. Now, when you do that as service to the Lord, and you serve the Lord, and you give freely what you have received from the Lord, does the Lord take care of you? Sure he does. But you're not serving for the money. You're not doing the error of Balaam. You're doing your service unto God. And what's it say in Matthew 6? Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. They just follow the seeking of God. But some of the fellows are coming to churches and they're not seeking God. They're seeking to get money, just like Balaam did. There's some that are seeking a wife. They, they go, I only come to this church because I'm looking for a woman. And I can't find a good one at the bar, so I thought I'd try checking out the church. I had a guy tell me that. Came to our church for a long time, said, I only come here for the girls. Not really coming here for the word. I was like, oh man, that's the wrong reason to go to church. But you know, this is where it comes down to the motive. Jude is going to go into the motive. Next week, we'll, we'll go over the core thing. And you guys see if you see any motive there. You might notice still creeping around in church today. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, CelebrateTheLord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. Watching shadows lengthen I've done a lot of thinking Of all the love I'm missing By never loving you Really want to know you Take a chance and show you If I read
Have waited for 